The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of CPR Unplugged. I'm your friendly neighborhood therapist and host, Steve Marshall, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Benjamin Edwards. Ben is a licensed social worker who graduated from Arizona State University. He's worked in CPR for the past seven years in various departments and roles. In addition to his work in behavioral health, Ben is also an Army veteran, an actor, and a bodybuilding champion. Ben, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. No, thank you so much. Uh... We, I say, I say again because we had just recorded a portion of this, and uh, well, we had thought we were recording, but uh, we uh, we came to find that we're we were halfway through. So. We're, we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about your experiences with CPR. And the, the first thing I wanted to get into was what made you, what, what brought you to CPR? What was the, uh, the path that you took getting here? Yes. Um, my family, actually my aunt, Darla Edwards worked for CPR initially. I just finished my bachelor's degree in industrial organizational psychology at the end of the day, I didn't know what I wanted to do, just like anyone else probably coming out of college. I just knew that my purpose in life was to help others and be of service. And so that was just what I chose at that time. She was working um, in dispatch, I believe. And she said, why don't you come work for us? We could get you a position and see what you want to do in a service realm. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I started working crisis dispatch night shift, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. while going uh, to ASU uh, for graduate school during the day. So I did full-time work, full-time school, and that's kind of how I got involved with CPR. And so you were busy at that time. It sounds like, um, you know, working the night shift and going to school is is no easy task, but you were able to get through it. What, what were some of the other roles that you held while at CPR? Um, yeah. You know, seven years is a long time. So what were you up to? Yeah. So I went from crisis dispatch to the CET, which is the client engagement team which is in charge of engaging with clients, making sure their appointments are scheduled, making sure we're following up with people who might've missed their appointments, making sure they had transportation, just making sure packets and things were up to date for their counselors and their appointments to be taken care of. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of how that went for a few years. I got my LMSW, I took my state exam and became a licensed master of social work. And then I wanted to get into counseling from that point. And then at that point, I started doing a little private practice in the evening just to kind of work on hours. As you know, trying to get to the uh, clinical level, you need a certain amount of hours and things of that nature. So in that time, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with CPR. We didn't have a plan at that time. But then Michael Magarinos pulled me in because he was working on something really unique called the uh, TCP, the Transitional Care Program, ways to find uh, that close that gap, put a bridge for individuals that were going to the hospital or high risk and try to prevent recidivism, right? And so we tried to, we created the app on the phone, just try to find many ways to get around these barriers and obstacles that we find this population in. And that's kind of what led me to the transitional care program where I spent uh, my last three or four years. Excellent. So um, which did you like best? <laughs> which did I like best? Well, transitional care program, right, would be the best because that gave me the most experience of working with individuals one-on-one, -on -one, which is 
priceless. Like I say, every time, anytime you interact with someone, that interaction, you take a part of them with you always and vice versa. So it's always a unique interaction to have. It's, I guess it would be similar to outpatient. The way I was operating in the transitional care, it was almost like I was doing outpatient care because I would maintain um, the people I was working with for about 90 days at a time. So that was about a short term, but it was, it was significant individual counseling at the time. I think that's was my favorite part. Good answer, by the way. <laughs> TCP. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about your path to behavioral health. And obviously you had some family connection there with your aunt Darla. And she sort of drew you in and said, hey, give this a try. Is it something that you had thought about prior to um, working with CPR being in behavioral health? Or is it something that you just, at, once you once you got a little taste of it, you were like, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this and and decided to let it grow from there? Yeah, it was not something I thought about prior actually at all. I'm all about going with the flow and see what happens. And, and that's kind of how I operate. I just see what it's like because I don't want to judge it without experiencing it. And I know if it was in the same direction as me being of service and helping people, then I'm open to it. And that's kind of what it was. And as I did it, I realized I am I am good at connecting with people. I do have something natural about me in that way. Um, people feel open to me. Um, they tell me all the time. They feel listened to. They feel that they, they, they feel my voice is calming or whatever the case may be. And it just seemed to work out well. Mm. So, so you're able to build a rapport with people quickly. You, you know, I know that before we were talking about you, you, you know, treating people like people, you know, spending the actual time to get to know them and, and listening and being non-judgmental. Do you have a, a particular style of counseling that you like to practice or um, methods that you adhere to when you're in session with folks to help generate um, uh, the uh, that, that, that healing space that, that we're all looking for when we're doing counseling? Yeah, I think doing solution-focused and motivational interviewing are two of my favorite. I used to do EMDR. Um, you could explain what that is, but it's for trauma therapy. It's really um, amazing the work I was able to do with individuals in a short period of time with EMDR. Eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, yep. But I think motivational interviewing with the population I was with is was key, you know, is letting them mm -hmm. know like there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that cause anxiety in a lot of us. But we can't, mm. if we can, not let that impede on us taking action, move forward. And I think that was one of the biggest things I, I came across was lack of action. And, mm. I, and I used my bodybuilding, I used my acting, I used my actions to kind of show how it could be of help. And, you know, I would connect with them depending on what it is that they would connect with, right? If it was fitness or video games or music or whatever, cooking, whatever that person was good at, I would always have something to connect these skills to, to explain how important action is. Um, because a lot of times we get caught up on how we feel, mm. which it's very significant. However, most of the time motivation isn't going to be there and we're not going to feel like doing something, but the discipline is necessary to do something to jumpstart everything else going in that process. And I think that takes me back to my military time of discipline and just taking action. Yeah, it's a, you know, that's, I think discipline is a really challenging thing for people to begin to develop. And, and you know, you certainly have it in spades, not, not just, you know, in your military career and here at CPR, but also as like a bodybuilding and uh, champion and, and, you know, the the discipline it takes to adhere to a diet and a workout regimen is 
it's pretty extreme. It's 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 not easy to do, but you've you, you've been able to foster that that skill set, and then it sounds like being able to help communicate how to how to develop that skill in others. Have have you ever come into a situation in your counseling experience where you feel like you've been thrown a curveball and um, you you either didn't know how how to respond or you at least expected things to be going one way and then all of a sudden it's going uh, the complete opposite direction. Off the top of my head, I could think of one or two to where it was extreme curveball. And it, it, it happened due to the, the mental illness at the time. The individual had gone through chemo, a lot of uh, stages of chemo radiation treatment. And um, after the fact, I had to do more research into what that causes in people because um, the individual was doing well, thriving, and then out of you know a short period of time, would present a totally different way, very aggressive, very short and suicidal or just aggressive in general. And that was very interesting for me to experience. But at the same time, I was able to keep my composure. I didn't, I was not reactive at all, which that person thanked me for later and they were apologetic. And they explained that they had no idea that the symptoms of the radiation the treatment had on them and how that worked out. So that was, I would say that was a curveball. I wasn't prepared you- for how did you do that? How did you maintain your composure? Because I think that's something being non-reactive. I think that's such a great skill or quality to have, but not everyone has it. So, yeah. so how were you able to do that? Well, the first thing I do is try to, again, focus on the individual. It's not about me. It's never about me. So with that being said, I, I don't take it personal, right? That's one thing that's difficult for probably any of us is to try to not take something personal is that this individual is going through something I don't know what it is all the time, right? Sometimes we're privy to what it is, but at this time, I don't know what it is. So I'm more curious and interested in one, are they okay? Two, what is going on? And three, what can I do to help? If I maybe focus and listen, I might find those answers. So with that being said, I'm not worried about any specific reaction to defend myself or any of that, something that might be in a negative tone. So it's just being present, holding that space for them as you do regardless. And let them know it's okay. Vent, do what you got to do within some means. Um, but I don't get reactive, even if, you know, profanity, these things that I'm not the therapist that's going to say, you know what, don't talk that way to me or we're going to end stations. <laughs> and that might be applicable to some people. I've just never been that person because I don't think that's re- relevant for me, at least. So, uh, you know, I just, that that's the approach I took. It was just held it down for that person. What it happened was they ended up changing direction from, targeting what seemed to be me at the time with the aggression and wanting to go and start blaming the insurance or the supervisor, the manager, which I escalated it to. And they come back to me. And that was the same individual that after six more weeks of counseling wrote a song for me and said they got back to singing because of me. They said they they were able to mend relationships that they pushed away because of the symptoms they were not aware of. And that I was able to show them that, you know, they're still caring going on and they felt isolated that no one cared was listening so it was very interesting but i think taking things out of context can cause someone to be reactive Mm. and taking things personal yeah absolutely yeah um what would you say is your proudest accomplishment um working in the field or if you don't want to you know pick one you know are there are there a couple of things that you you would feel is you 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 know you're particularly proud of I'm proud one to say that I was able to work in all the departments I was able to work with and work with as many people I was able to work with because 
I feel like any interaction with someone you have is there's something there, energy or presence that uh, can be transcended amongst right their family, their mm-hmm. friends, and it can just go further. And just knowing that I have an ability to touch not just one, but many, many, many beyond that is pretty amazing. Um, especially when you get those positive, um, the positive results we'll say after, you know, treatment and you see how that's impacted, not just them, but their family and everyone that said, you know, my family's starting to tell me I'm doing better. My family's realizing that I'm changing. That's always rewarding. I think as well as working with the transitional care, a lot of times in transitional care, when we were starting, I had poor boundaries. I'll say it straight like that. I had poor boundaries where I'm answering my phone at off hours. We'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that clients were in crisis and needed me. And that was their go-to when I built that rapport with them to where I felt like I needed to be there. And cause I knew mm-hmm. they weren't going to call crisis. They weren't going to take the other steps necessary. And so I felt like I was obligated. Um, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's the healthiest um, relation. And I, those are probably not normal relations that should be had mm-hmm. between a therapist and a, um, one of their clients. But I did that. Um, And I will say at times that that being human is what I'll call that, that maybe again, it's probably wasn't appropriate, but I would say I've saved lives because Mm. of it. Um, And there's one, there's a couple I could think of that I've done that, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, I had to look at myself and realize, did I do the right thing? And what, you know, did I hurt anybody or not? And I think that's the difficult part of being a, a therapist and, following the rules of the ethics and all the things we do, because there's some element of human that wants to come out, right. Mm-hmm. Cross that barrier sometimes and going and helping someone physically. It's like, you know, I can't do that. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that's the challenging part of being a therapist is the resources that are available or not available. It makes mm-hmm. things very challenging. Yeah. You're, you're, you're up against, uh, you, you know, ethical standards and, and, and certain boundaries and probably even just ability, you know, ability to serve people at sometimes and, and you have to be able to make your peace with that. How, how do you do that? How do you make your peace with, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna be able to help everyone the way that I, that I want to, or I can't, you know, go out there and, and, you know, provide shelter or a meal. And a lot of times what I can do is be an ear and, and that's that. How do you, how do you manage that? Well, I've said one thing I do is I'll staff with people. You as my supervisor, I've done with, right? I want to staff with people to get things off my chest. I don't want to carry something that's something that's going to weigh me down. That's not going to help me help myself or help others moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I want to get that off my chest for one. Two, I want to be as present as possible to provide as much support as possible. Let the individual know, no, I can't provide finances to pay your electric and I can't provide you housing specifically. But what I can provide you is, is, support and uh, strength as much as possible and show you that you have people in your corner that are not going to give up on you. And as long as you have a way to communicate, I'm going to be here. And I think Mm -hmm. just showing that you care and having a source of support goes a long ways with Mm -hmm. someone who's at, at, at their bare bottom, you know, Mm -hmm. they know that this guy cares or that lady cares Um, and they'll find a way to call you and reach out to Mm -hmm. you. And if they're doing that, then that's, probably the most they could do. And that's pretty amazing for someone to do their most at the level that they're at, if they're at the bottom. So when that happens, it's pretty amazing for them to even say like, look, I had nobody and Mm -hmm. I didn't know how, how I was going to get there. Um, But you helped kind of guide me and show me some light or give me some strength, some motivation and some inspiration. And I think those things helped me feel better knowing that I was able to give all of that I could give. 
helping someone, helping someone not feel alone in, in being there for them in a dark, dark time, dark hour. That's pretty powerful stuff. Um, and it sounds like you're also able to instill hope in folks who were um, maybe hopeless prior to uh, prior to working with you. And, you know, what a gift, right? A gift for, for them. And, and I imagine for you as well, since it had the impact it did, you know, mm-hmm. um, is there, are there things that you would do differently when you were uh, either entering the field or uh, after, now that you have quite a bit of experience in the field, are there are there things that you would do differently? Yeah, I think I would be more aware of how much certain elements of the job drained me mm. in different capacities, emotionally or mentally, mm. not so much physically. And then I would be able to try to yeah, incorporate. You're ripped. You're ripped. <laughs> <laughs> and Well, I, I took that out in the gym, right? And that's why I tell people like, this isn't really a vanity thing. This is a mental health uh, self-care thing. I would go to the gym two or three times a day. If I was having a hard evening, I would just go to the gym and I'd do cardio um, mm. and I would process. And what's funny is we talked a little bit about EMDR is that I always think the bilateral stimulation of when I'm walking from left to right, my feet touching the ground is helping me actually process my thoughts in the moment. Um, whether that's accurate or not, I don't know if there's research on that style, but I know bilateral stimulation is effective. So me doing that, it just gave me an outlet. But I think I would try to really just be aware of trying to do more for myself and and using my time off out of all the years i've been with cpr i rarely ever took any time off mm. I mean, that that goes to just not having much of a social life and isolating myself those are other things i could have improved on as well to space out these things so i didn't hit this point of uh compassion fatigue or or, or burnout right mm. um, and I think the military had me in that way, too, that I would just work, 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 work. And I think that in time, it speeds up your lifespan almost in a job. Sure. It pushes you to burn out if you don't take the breaks you need. And as an actor, I was trying to save all my time off. So when I booked something, I had, I had the time to go, which just started happening recently, thankfully. But before that, I was just afraid to leave or do anything. So I would just focus on sleep, healthy nutrition, and working out as my self-care. And over time, that just wasn't cutting it for me. So I just, that's what I would do different, you know, is really focus on how do I improve my longevity? Well, that's, you know, that's an excellent point. I think, you know, every therapist worth their salt comes across that after a little while, you know, in the field, because you do encounter so many challenging experiences and, and, you know, burnout, something that's real. And so, um, you know, now it does sound like you've taken a little bit of a step back and you're working on some other elements of, of your career. And do you have any exciting projects coming up or, or future plans, goals that you're that you're excited or willing to talk to talk to us about? Pretty exciting. Um, I did just film the Outer Range season two, episode two. So if you could check that out on Paramount Plus, I play a, a deputy sheriff. That stars Josh Brolin, Tom Pelfrey, and a few others. It's a pretty great show. If you haven't seen it, go watch season one. It's a great show. The Curse with Emma Stone. I had a scene with Emma Stone that I did that should be coming out sometime mid-2023. So we're pretty close upon that. And then we have um, another one that's on a non-disclosure agreement I can't speak upon. Uh. But it's a big, one of the biggest franchises in the film industry that I just got back from filming two days on in Atlanta, Georgia. 
Um, so yeah, things are going really well in that aspect. And I think it's again, a part of just taking care of me and keep moving forward. Um, so yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, oh, it's excellent. I'm, I'm excited to watch, check those out. I do have Paramount Plus, so I will be I will be tuning into Outer Range. That sounds great. Um, okay, so what any advice would you give anyone any advice looking to get into the field? Because you you really did, you know, come in and you started over, an overnight shift, taking crisis calls, and then you know you worked into client engagement, and then you started doing. Um, counseling and then you know transitional care and so you 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 really did in, you climb the ladder in such a, a, a an incredible fashion and you know I think if there's anyone to give some advice it would be you because you've you've seen behavioral health at all the levels um, and you've had a lot of success here so anyone looking to get into the field what what kind of advice would you give them I would say one just know this where your where your heart is it's where you want to be because it's not always easy. I would say that's first. If it's not something you have to do, then don't do it. And I say that same with acting <laughs> because it's, it'll wear you. It's, it's difficult. I would say too, is be realistic with yourself. You know, it's not for everyone. And if you find yourself at a place where you can't be what you need to be ethically and morally in this role, then don't do it because there's probably other things that will benefit you and the people you interact with more if you were doing something else. I see a lot of people who get burnt out easily or just aren't doing their job effectively and they've caused them possibly more harm to people. Um, then I would say, you know, find something that you really enjoy as far as modalities or treatments and experience different fields from maybe working with children, working with uh, geriatric, working in a hospital, working outpatient, try to find something that's for you, but don't just quit and give up after experiencing something you didn't like try something different. That's the cool thing about this role, this, this job is that you could do many different things. You could be a school social worker. You could be a hospital social worker. Um, there's so many things you could do. So I would say just try to find something that you uh, feel good about you resonate with. And then lastly, I would say, make sure you have something in place for yourself and your life goals to always move forward to personal goals, not just career goals, because those will only take you so far. Have personal goals outside of work that you could move forward towards uh, whether it's fitness health family um, mm -hmm. whatever it is but always have that in place and make it a non-negotiable you have to um, because work will negotiate your time and your value with you mm -hmm. but if you're not doing that for yourself um, I promise you it'll lead you to somewhere you don't want to be emotionally mm -hmm. or mentally or even physically so that's what I would say well said Anything next in the field for you? I know you're taking a little bit of a break, but do you have uh, some future plans? You know, I don't. Um, my future plans is to take a trip maybe to Puerto Rico, maybe Spain, thanks to Michael. I'm going to take some time uh, to try to get back to where I need to be. I'm looking at doing some more uh, mental health work for athletes or bodybuilding specifically. Right now is what I'm looking at. So maybe even in the acting industry but, but we'll see it's something that i'm going to always advocate for regardless and i always tell people if i make it more as an actor and build a, build a bigger platform that i'm going to always advocate for mental health and that's mm. where i'm going to be always it's part of me um, so that's what i'm always going to do in some way shape or form so that's awesome well said and, and uh, you know on that note i think we found a, a good place to kind of wrap things up Ben, I want to thank you for stepping into the spotlight, sharing about your experiences, 
for all the time and, and effort that you gave to CPR. I mean, you were a, a juggernaut for us and, and uh, you certainly um, will be missed. And to all the listeners out there in our listener world, thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you guys later. Take care. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support.